Hey, good morning, everybody. So we're uh, continuing our series that's called Different because normal isn't working. And we're talking about, in the series, we're talking about eight different ways that we are called to be different and to shine in this world. And the reason that we are in this series is because one of the biggest obstacles to my growth in Christ and your growth in Christ is our desire to fit in. But we are not called to fit in. We are called to stand out. And our topic today that we are talking about is purity uh, in an unpure world, purity in an impure world. You know, in America, we uh, uh, put a lot of emphasis, we care a lot about purity in some areas, but not so much in other areas. For instance, we want pure water to drink, we want pure air to breathe, we want um, pure food to put into our bodies, but in our culture, we are not nearly as concerned about the purity of our minds and the purity of our hearts. But just like environmental pollutants lead to physical disease and illness, moral pollutants lead to physical, uh, spiritual disease and spiritual ill health and weakness. There has been uh, an image in my mind all week as I have thought about this topic. And it's been of uh, Samson. Do you remember the guy Samson, the story of Samson in the, in the Old Testament? Samson, if you remember him, he had a calling on his life. God had a purpose for his life. God gave him supernatural strength in his life to pursue that purpose. But he largely squandered it through moral compromise. Through moral compromise, he lost his strength and he became weak. And I think that is a fit illustration of what's going on in the church today because each of us has a calling from God and we have a purpose in our life and we do not want to squander that through moral compromise. Do you want a life of spiritual vitality and of strength and of influence? It's going to come down the pathway of holiness. Holiness makes us strong, but moral compromise makes us weak. Now, when you hear that uh, word holiness or purity, what are, the, what are the images that come to your mind? What do you, what do you think of when you hear that phrase? Uh, do, you have, do you have kind of a negative image uh, of what holiness looks like? Because if you do, what you are thinking of is not holiness. What you're thinking of is self-righteousness and pride and hypocrisy and appearance and all of those things are actually the enemies of holiness because true holiness is magnetic and it is attractive just like Jesus was when he walked this earth. Right? And when you hear about this idea that, man, holiness is what makes us effective and makes us powerful and allows God to use us in this world, you may think, well, my past then 
disqualifies me from being used by God. And I wanna tell you that is absolutely not true because my past and my yesterday is under the blood of Jesus and he has cleansed us and he has forgiven us and what matters is not our yesterday but it is the commitment that we make going forward. It is our today and it is our tomorrow. So how can we do that? How can we be pure in an impure world? And to answer that question, I want to take us to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to read for us verses uh, 13 through 20. And so if you want to follow along in your Bible or Bible app or up on the screen, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 13. And the context of what we're reading here is that Peter has just reminded the believers that he is writing to, that they have been born again by the grace of God. They have been given new life and new hearts by the Holy Spirit. And because they are born again, he is now going to give them uh, this call to holiness that I wanna read for us today as well. So here we are starting in verse 13. And why don't we, out of respect for God's word, why don't we stand together as we listen to God's word? Here's what it says. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything that you do just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. If you'd pray with me just quickly, Father in heaven, we thank you for the reading of your word. We ask that you would help us together to understand it and to walk inside of it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for that. So how can we, as God's people, those who have been born again, how can we stay pure in an impure world? And I wanna point out four things to us from the passage that we just read together on how we can stay pure in an impure world. Here's the first one. The first thing that Peter tells us, number one, is to manage my mind to manage my mind. When Peter begins to talk about this call to holiness and this call to purity, this is exactly where he starts in the area of the mind. Look at the first part of verse 13 again. He says, so think clearly and exercise self-control. In other words, get your head in the game and exercise self-control and self-discipline in the things that you think about. Because the battle for holiness for all of us is won or lost 
in the mind. I have to discipline my mind by keeping the trash out and putting the good things in. Every temptation that we experience starts in the mind, right? I was thinking dumb things before I did dumb things. That is always the case. It starts first in our mind. What I feed my mind on a regular basis is just as important, in fact, it's even more important than what I feed my body, right? You and I, I, we can't have a healthy body if we sit around and eat Twinkies all day, but the moral equivalent of Twinkies is most of what is on television on a, on a regular basis. I saw uh, a stat the other day that said the average American will spend 10 years in front of their television set by the end of their life. 10 years of our entire life in front of the television set. And most of what we're watching is the, and putting into our hearts and putting into our minds is the moral equivalent uh, of the Twinkie. And so here's the challenge. What am I watching? What am I reading? What am I listening to? Am I rationalizing pornography? Right, saying, ah, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt anybody, it's, it's, it's no big deal. It is a big deal, and it is hurting us in tremendous ways. How am I doing in managing my mind and the things that I'm putting in? Are there some things that I am watching and reading and exposing myself to that I need to have a conviction about that it is not God's will for me and it is leading me down a wrong path because the battle for holiness is won or lost in the mind. And we also need to think on good things because self-control with what we're thinking about is not just eliminating maybe things that are negative, it is about adding things that are positive, right? God's word, the fact we're here together in church, we're worshiping, we're listening to God's word, the Bible studies that you're in, podcasts that you listen to, these are all putting good things into our mind. I wanna draw your attention to the second part of verse 13, where Peter says, look forward. In other words, put your mind, put your hope, put your thoughts on the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. In other words, when Jesus Christ comes back, the second coming of our Lord, his holiness, his purity, his perfection is gonna fully come to us. And Peter says, remember that, Put your mind on it. Now, why, why would he say that? Of all the things he could say to put our mind on in regard to holiness, why would he tell us to remember the grace that's gonna come to us when Jesus Christ returns? Well, I want you to listen to what uh, C.S. Lewis writes. Lewis was a professor at Oxford University. He wrote uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, listen to his words here. He says, God's demand for perfection, his demand for holiness, need not discourage you in the least in your present attempts to be good or even in your present failures because each time you fall, he will pick you up again and he knows perfectly well that your own efforts are never going to bring you anywhere near perfection. 
On the other hand, you must realize from the outset that the goal towards which he is guiding you is absolute holiness, absolute perfection. And it's very important to realize that. If we do not, then we are very likely to start pulling back and resisting him after a certain point. I think many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins that have been an obvious nuisance, are inclined to feel that we are now good enough. He has done all we wanted him to do and we should be obliged if he would now leave us alone. (laughs) So do you get that? What he's saying is if we don't remember that he is guiding us towards that ultimate holiness and perfection when he comes back, then we get complacent in the pursuit of holiness. I feel that and I know you do too. And so Peter says, keep your mind on that great goal that we would not be complacent in where he is taking us so we can move with him. So the first thing Peter reminds us about when it comes to holiness, number one, is to manage our mind, manage what we're thinking about. Here's the second thing. Number two is to make a commitment to God's standard. Make a commitment to God's standard. Verses 14, 15, and 16. Peter says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And here's what I want to point out to us is that holiness and righteousness and morality are not things that change with time. Because, Peter reminds us, they are rooted in the character of God, which does not change. And we are called to conform to his standard, the standard of holiness. There was a time, Peter says, when you and I, we didn't know any better. We just did whatever we wanted, whatever felt good in the moment. But now, he says, we've come to know God, we've come to know his will, And we must not slip back into old ways of thinking and acting. I love that term that he uses, you know, slip, slip back. And it's interesting, it's interesting that we can slip into trouble real fast, but we never slip into holiness, right? Like we don't, we don't say, you know, I woke up this morning intending to sin, but somehow by accident I was holy and I, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how I ended up uh, being holy. I don't, you know, I didn't intend for that. That never happens. We don't slip into holiness, but we do, don't we, often slip into unholiness. And the reason is because we have an enemy who causes us to slip up because he is sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. And here's what 
he does, and I know this is what he does because he does it to me, and I know he does it to you, and he has been doing it since the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. He has very few new tricks, and just like he did then, he does now. He twists his tail around that tree, and he says, did God really say? Come on, look how, look how good it is. Look how good it looks. There's nothing wrong with it. God is holding out on you and he's trying to limit your freedom. That's exactly how he went after Adam and Eve. It's the same thing that he does to us today. But listen, if we were driving on the road and we saw a sign that said bridge out, we wouldn't say, hey, you know, that, that's limiting my, my freedom and I'm gonna drive where I wanna drive and just bust right through it. We would know that that sign is posted there for our own protection. And that's the same view that we should have of God's word. But the enemy of our soul is always whispering to you, wanting you to lower God's standard by saying, did God really say that? Here's another way that we tend to dilute uh, God's standard, and it's, it's with what, what I'll call the theology of happiness over against the theology of holiness, right? Uh, notice what Peter does not say. He does not say, uh, you must be happy in all you do, just as God who chose you is happy. You must be happy because I am happy, right? It doesn't say that. It says, you must be holy as I am holy. God's highest purpose for us is not our happiness, it is our holiness. And even though we might not directly uh, adhere to the theology of happiness, we adhere to it practically in our actions many times. And if I have a theology of happiness, what happens is that anything that causes me discomfort, anything that would want sacrifice on my part, anything that is hard or difficult, I can say, well, that can't be God's will for me because it's not making me happy right now in this particular moment. But if I think something will make me happy, then I justify it and rationalize it. And I'm, I'm, when I do that, I am living with a theology of happiness rather than a theology of holiness. In that passage we just read, Peter is quoting when he says, be holy because I am holy. That is a quote from Leviticus in the Old Testament. And the word holy means to be pure, it means to be different. It means to be set apart for God's use. And the people of Israel, God was saying in Leviticus, were to be holy in their actions and character in the same way that God was holy. They were to be different than the nations around them. They were not to worship the pagan gods. They were not to sacrifice their children to Moloch. They were not to engage in sexual morality. God gave them a whole new set of morality and ethics and ceremonial law all around his character, saying, I want you to be holy and different because I have a special calling for you 
as a nation. And Peter takes that and he applies it to God's people under the new covenant that we also need to be holy in accordance with God's character. But here's the question, are we? Have we become different than the world around us? You know, just by way of example, of ways we have diluted God's standard and lowered God's standard to just meet the world around us. A recent Pew survey showed that 50%, 57%, so more than half, a majority, 57% of evangelical Christians say that sex outside of marriage is sometimes or always okay, right? A clear contradiction of God's Word, but we have just adapted to the world around us and taken the, the standard of the world around us. And so here's the call. Would we make a commitment to God's standard of holiness and not dilute it or lower the bar or change it in an unthinking way just to fit in with the world around us. All right, here's number three, the third way that we can be pure in an impure world. Number three is to magnify the consequences of sin. Magnify the consequences of sin. Look again at verse 17. Peter says, and remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. Now let me explain what Peter is saying here. Peter says one of the motivators in our pursuit of holiness is the knowledge that we will give an account of our lives before Christ. And therefore, we should have a healthy awe or reverence before God about that. Now let me be clear because we can misunderstand what Peter is saying here. This is not a fear of condemnation because there is no fear of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our sins have been covered. The righteousness of Christ is yours when you put your trust and when you put your faith in him. What Peter is talking about is the healthy fear, the healthy reverence, the healthy uh, awe that a son or daughter has for their father wanting to please him, that we ought to want to please our father. Even as in the flesh, uh, children have a natural desire and ought to have a natural healthy respect for their father wanting to please him. That's what Peter is talking about, not a fear of condemnation, but a healthy desire to want to please Christ our Lord. And this isn't hard for us to understand. I, I, I remember back when I was 11, 12 years old, my dad ran a nursing home, skilled nursing facility. And on Saturdays, he would hire me to come in and mow the grass and pull the weeds and trim the bushes and get that property uh, looking good. And you know, a full day in the sun, you're getting tired, you're wanting to cut corners maybe, but I would always remember when I was getting a little tired 
that dad was gonna walk the building with me at the end of the day. We were gonna walk all the way around that building and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't gonna kick me out of the family if I didn't do a good job, but I wanted to receive his commendation. I wanted to receive, receive his reward and that knowledge that he's gonna walk around that building with me motivated me. I needed to have that healthy reverence uh, in my life. And we should have that before God, certainly, as well. And that's what Peter's reminding us about. You know, if you make an assessment of how sexuality is depicted in Hollywood on TV, you would think it has no negative consequences whatsoever. But the reality is so very different right? It affects our emotions. It affects our psyche. It destroys marriages. It destroys families. It destroys churches. It, it destroys your respect. It destroys your influence. And Peter reminds us, it destroys our reward in heaven. Samson squandered his gifts. He squandered his calling. He squandered his purpose because he wanted what he wanted. And it helps us to have a healthy fear, doesn't it, of danger, right? Don't touch the hot stove. It has consequences. And we would do well to remember that when we are stumbling down the road of selfishness and deceitful desires. Magnify the consequences. Here's the last one, number four, and it's probably the most important one of all. Number four, being pure in an impure world is to make it all about Jesus. And I'll explain that. Make it all about Jesus. And that's exactly how Peter ends the conversation too. Look at uh, verses 18, 19, and 20. He says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as a ransom, as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Jesus is the source of my purity. He bought my purity with his blood and I must not tread on that, spit on that, or treat that lightly. And this is so important and so often misunderstood, so make sure and hear this, that I don't come to God by trying to be holy. I come to God first, and it is only through his grace that he then makes me holy, both in position and over time in practice. His grace alone is what gives me a new heart that even desires holiness and empowers holiness, right? It's only through the Holy Spirit that we, we even want, we, we even want God's righteousness. We even want to do what God wants us to do. If I have no desire whatsoever to please God, if I have no desire for his holiness, no desire for his righteousness in my life, it's because I don't have the Holy Spirit yet. He hasn't saved me and he hasn't given me that new heart. 
But when I put my trust and faith in Christ, when he gives me that new heart, he puts his Holy Spirit in me, he gives me a desire, a desire to want to please him with my whole life. And he also gives us the grace to walk in it, which happens over time all through our Christian life. And we must not resist that in our life. As we grow in Christ, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit at opportune moments in our life reveals impurities to us. And he doesn't reveal all of our impurity all at once, like we would not be able to handle that. But at teaching moments in our life, he convicts us about things, about an impurity that's in our heart or in our mind or in our actions. And he does that not to condemn us, but to lead me to a greater experience of humility and a greater experience of his grace. And so when that is revealed to me, I am at a crossroad. And you may be at a crossroad right now. And the crossroad is, do I excuse and rationalize and justify what he has revealed to me? Or do I cry out to God in desperation and humility and say, I cannot make myself holy and I need your grace and I need your empowerment for that. And that is a prayer the Lord will answer for you when we come to him in humility. It is humility which opens the door to grace, which opens the door to holiness. That's the pathway. Regardless of our mess ups, regardless of our past, God wants to give each of us a fresh start this morning in this area. And the path back to purity is to acknowledge what God is speaking to us about, to repent of it, to receive his forgiveness, and to request his help and the Holy Spirit's empowering to walk in a new level of holiness, a new level of purity than we've ever had before. And so where is God speaking to you on this issue of purity and on this issue of holiness? Where is he speaking to you? God is wanting to send a new outpouring of his spirit on his people. He is wanting to empower us for impact like never before. He is ready to send a harvest of souls like never before, but first, we must cleanse ourselves, we must purify ourselves, head, heart, and hands, because remember, holiness makes us strong, but moral compromise makes us weak. So I'm gonna invite Isaiah uh, and the band to come out. They're gonna, they're gonna do a final uh, closing song for us. This is a song called Heart, and it's a song that Isaiah uh, wrote. Uh, at a time in his life when it was his personal prayer before God for a new heart, for a cleansed heart, uh, for a purified heart. And so as he sings it, um, just use it as a, a sacred moment. Um, make it your own prayer. Make the words of the song your own 
prayer. Uh, and then I'll come back and we'll just have a prayer of commitment together as a church family uh, before we dismiss. But as Isaiah comes out, why don't we just sort of center our hearts in prayer before he sings. Father in heaven, I thank you for this wonderful church, this w wonderful people. And you have given us that new heart that desires holiness and purity. And we wanna please our heavenly Father in everything, our thoughts and our hearts. And so we just take a moment and we just give you permission to speak to our lives. I know in our busyness, we often don't have a sacred moment, a few sacred minutes where we just invite you to speak because we know none of us are perfect. We all have areas of cleansing that you want to give to us, but we're often unaware of them. And so we just ask that you would speak to us over these next few minutes. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.